0: I'm pulling on the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, today um, we are doing the fourth and I believe final part of Scourge. Scourge is the third set in the Onslaught block following Onslaught in Legions. I have spent the last three podcasts talking all about its design and many cards from it. And I'm not done. So I got up to R, so that's what we are. So we are up to Raven Guild Initiate. So Raven Guild Initiate is a blue card, costs 2 and a blue, so 3 mana for a 1-4 wizard. Uh, and it has the ability Morph, return a bird you control to your hand. So um, as I said last time, I started talking about, uh, Brian and his team were, exper- were experimenting with alternate Morph costs. Um, so the idea was, early on, Morph just costs mana, and by the time you get to the third, so it's like, well, what if you didn't have to spend mana? And there's some fun stuff, because... Um, There's some great surprise morph moments when you can do things without mana. Now, Brian and his team went a little too far. I think if you look at Konzertarkir, we definitely changed some stuff around so that morph was a little more... uh, Didn't surprise you quite so often in destructive ways. Um, There's what we call the five rule uh, in Konzertarkir, where in order... If you were going to morph up and be big enough that you will fight a 2-2 and win... Um, meaning you defeat it and you don't die, then you cost at least five mana to unmorph. Um, now there are the reveal stuff, so there are ways like we we experiment even in Kansatarkir with finding ways to unmorph without spending mana, like we do here. Um, this card is a lot of fun, only cause unsummoning something while it's fine as a cost really can be built around so it's not a cost, so that you're you know not only do you get to unmorph your creature, but Sometimes returning a bird to your hand could be very valuable, um, and there's different more things that are birds because there's Aven stuff, and so there's, there's there's shenanigans and fun stuff you can do. Um, that's one of the blues blues big themes as I talked about last time is uh, shenanigans matter. So that's another shenanigan card <laughs> that you can do a lot of cool fun things with. I like shenanigans. Okay, next Raven Guild Master. So one blue blue, so three mana for a one one wizard mutant, a mutant. Uh, whenever you deal combat damage to your opponent, you deal, you mill them for 10. Uh, mill means you take the top 10, t- top 10 cards of their library and you put them into their graveyard. Um, mill is a nickname that comes from Millstone, the first card to do that uh, ability. Oh, real quickly, this comes up on my blog all the time. Why don't we just call it Mill? Why do we, why do we spell it out every single time? Two things. One is, if we ever get an action keyword for it, and that's what it would be, um, we need a word that in a vacuum makes sense. Mill comes from millstone, which doesn't really have anything to do with, with what's going on. It's a mental attack. Uh, so we've experimented with words. We've actually tried to find words. The problem we come up with is every time we get a word that sounds good for making you, you know, forget, which is kind of what milling does, it also sounds like it could be a discard effect. And so we haven't, we haven't found the right word that goes, oh, that makes sense to be this, but not that. And that's the tricky part. Um, I know people are used to mill. One of the things that happens is, if you just use any term enough, it just starts to feel natural. That it's just like, okay, that feels natural. And the reality is, I know that mill, if you're used to it, might sound just fine, but in a vacuum, what does it mean? You know, you're grinding uh, wheat, right? (laughs) Uh, Anyway, it's a very odd... The connection between a millstone and the building in the first place was very tenuous. It's like, the sound of the millstone drove people crazy, but it, it was tenuous in the first place, and in a vacuum where you don't even have the millstone to try to connect to, just mill, anyway, it, it, I know there's people that love mill and want us to use the term mill. I don't think we're going to use the term mill. We might use another term, so maybe one day we'll do that. Anyway, Raven Guildmaster. every time I hit you, uh, I make you uh, lose the top ten card to your library. It's a morph card. Uh, you morph it for two blue and blue, uh, and the idea for this card is, I'm a morph creature, and should I block it? And if you don't block it, I go, ha ha, lose ten. Now, after that, it gets trickier because now you know I have it. Um, so the first time, I can surprise you for 10. Um, but this goes in a the deck. There's, we often, one of the strategies, so when Richard first made the game, he needed to make sure that the game would end. So what happened if you guys are stalemated or something? Well, as soon as one person can't draw a card, they lose. That's just a way to make sure the game ended. Uh, and Richard included more as a safety gap of just, well, if nothing else ends the game, this will end the game. And then in Antiquities, um, the East Coast Playtesters made Millstone, which was a card that, uh, you know, milled the two cards off the top of your opponent's library. And um, it was the first deck that said, oh, here's a strategy, I'm going to specifically win by doing this. That's not just a default win, I'm going to try to do this. And over the years, um, milling has been something that's it's been fun for us to do, uh, a lot of limited environments. There is potential to mill somebody out. You know, there's a card or two that can do it. Sometimes, like with Demir, we push it a little more than that. Um, but anyway, it's the kind of thing that we have fun with. This is definitely made for a casual kind of mill deck. Um, or even in limited. The other thing in limited, by the way, is just milling somebody 10 cards once because uh, you only have 40 cards in limited is very, very potent. Um, and let's say, for example, you're playing, you manage to get like two of these in, in your draft. Uh, just hitting them once with each one is probably enough to win the game. In fact, hitting them once might be enough to win the game. Hitting them with two is almost definitely enough to win the game. Next, Rock Jockey. So this is a goblin, a two and a red. It's called three mana for a 3-3 goblin. Uh, you can't play Rock Jockey if you've played a land this turn. And if you've played Rock Jockey, you can't play a land. So essentially what this card is doing is it is using your land drop. So it's a 3-mana three 3-3, three, three, which is in red is, is decent, and at the time was very good. Um, but you have to give up your land drop to do it. On turn 3, giving up your land drop is a pretty big deal. So this is actually not an insignificant cost. Um, when we did Zendikar, we actually experimented with the idea of using your land costs, you know, spells and stuff that required the land drop as a cost. Um, and we looked at this card. This is one of the cards... in. This really is the card that did it first. Um, In fact, Brian didn't actually work on Zendikar, but Brian was very fascinated by a lot of the same themes that ended up being things we explored in Zendikar. Obviously, his land cycling. Um, He messed around with land tokens. He did a lot of different things with land that I... It was one of the things that made me realize that there was a lot of potential for land, which is what led to Zendikar, even though Brian actually wasn't on the team. Rock by the way, uh, is is Brian experimenting with using a land drop. We did experiment with that during Zendikar. Proved to be not that much fun. People tended to mana screw themselves. Uh, and so it just led to bad behaviors that you then would lose in a way that you weren't quite sure why you lost, but it was annoying. And, um, but anyway, rock jockey. Knock, next. <laughs> nah, next. Rush of Knowledge. So Rush of Knowledge is a blue sorcery. It costs four in the blue, so five mana. And you got to draw cards equal to the highest converted mana cost of creatures you control. Um, so, this was another one of the CMC cards. Uh, this was one of the more popular ones because drawing cards is pretty good. And so the idea is, if I can get out something that's decently big, you know, I could draw a lot of cards. And, to be fair, for five mana, uh, even if I draw three cards, uh, especially in limited, eh, it's okay. And if I draw four cards, that's pretty good. So... You know, getting a four drop out before you cast Russian Knowledge is not that hard. I mean, obviously you had dreams of bigger things. Um, In fact, we'll get to to one of those bigger things next. But uh, um, anyway, it was a popular card in limited. I don't know if so much constructed play, but in limited it was very good. Next, Scornful Egotist. It costs eight mana, seven and a blue for a one-one wizard with Morph Blue. Okay, so in Magic, from time to time, we make what I like to call what cards. Yes, that's what cards. Uh, and the idea is when you make the card, then the player first sees it, they go, what? Uh, and this is a perfect example. It's an 8-mana 1-1. An 8-mana 1-1? Now, it has morph, so you can get it out pretty cheap. It's got morph for a single blue. So in turn three, you could play it. On the next turn, for single mana, you know, single blue mana, you can turn it face up and have your little 1-1 one, one wizard. But why would you want to do that? And the answer is, let's go back one card to Rush of Knowledge. So Rush of Knowledge says, hey, I want something expensive in play so I can draw a lot of cards. Well, imagine on the third turn you played uh, Scornful Egotist in its morph form. Then on the fourth turn you turned it back up and you had a little manage something else. And then on the fifth turn, assuming so you get land every turn, you play Rush of Knowledge and draw eight cards. Because this is an eight converted mana cost creature. Um, but the problem was in a in a vacuum. If you don't understand the theme of the set, it just looks really odd because it makes you go, "What?" Um, and like you, you look at it, and you're like, "I don't." Why is this cost eight mana? Only later do you realize that the eight mana is a benefit. Like the more flood you get it out, that's how you're supposed to get it out. And then having an eight drop that you can get out much much earlier than normal allows you to do sh- you, you know fun stuff with things like Russian Knowledge and other converted co- converted mana cost matters cards. So what we found on these kind of cards is you have to do them in small doses because they're very confusing when you first enc- encounter them. Now, a little bit of that is fun. A little bit of seeing something and going, what? You know, it's a little bit as fun. And what we train players is when you get confused, like, okay, I got to look at more cards. Um, if we do that on too many cards, we just confuse people. But on one or two, is kind of fun. And I often have fights. I, I like doing these kind of cards when they... they um, I like having a little bit of, of, of shock value as long as you minimize how much shock value there is. So, um... And Scornful just got a lot of, like, a lot of people, like... I got letters. Like, people are angry. of like, what, you know, what's going on? An 8-mana 1-1? One one, that's just... That's just not right, you know? And, like, do you know what it's doing? Why is it there? You know, why is there an 8-mana 1-1? One one? But, uh... Anyway, um, we do do cards like that. I like it. Uh, but we have to be careful about how many, um... And there, one of the big things is sometimes you do a card where people don't understand what the extra thing is. They read it and assume they're reading it wrong. Um, Scorable Egotist, it's in the mana cost. That's, that's a little harder to read wrong. But sometimes you'll write stuff in the rules text and the player so doesn't get it, they just assume they're reading it wrong and then read something else. And so that's another problem. We're like, oh, it can't be what I think I read, so it must be something else and they find something else for it to mean. Uh... Because if if it doesn't make sense to people, people really work hard to make it make sense. And so you've got to be careful how many of those you do. Next, Siege Gang Commander. So Siege Gang Commander is a red card. costs three red red, so five mana, for a 2-2 goblin. When it enters the battlefield, you get three 1-1 red goblin tokens. And then for one and a red, you can sack a goblin to do two damage to target creature or player. So Siege game, S- n- n- yeah. Siege Gang commander has a cute little story. So um, Wolf Warport Worth, I'm speaking so well today. Worth Warport um, used to, he currently is in charge of Magic Online. He used to be in R and D. Uh, before that, he was a pro player, and I got to know Worth uh, back in his pro playing days. Worth and I actually are from the same city. We're from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and when Worth started working at Wizards, he mostly did development. Um, but he was on one design team, which is uh, Scourge. Um, so he had a lot of fun designing cards, and I remember he came to me one day, and he had made... He had done Seed Game Commander, and he loved the idea of a goblin that brought goblins into play. You know, it was a goblin that had a whole team of goblins with him. But he knew it was missing something, and he wanted something that was... You know, that made it have a little extra something. So I suggested... I go, well, what if... His second ability, first, your first ability is a triggered to enter the battlefield ability, makes one, 1-1s. What if his second ability, sacrifice goblins for some ability? Um, and he and I talked about it. I think we finally said that damage probably made the most sense. But the nice thing is he br- he brings his own arsenal. And, like, this is a little goblin guy running the goblin, and he's more than willing to use the, his goblins. Um, one of the things you learn about goblins is, uh, I think I've talked about this in my podcast, is that goblins' uh, tactical advantage is there's lots of goblins. And so they have no problem using goblins as a resource. So, hey, the CGA commander's like, I got some goblins. Uh, They got dynamite strapped to them, so I I just throw them and they'll blow up my enemy. Uh, So anyway, the nice thing is that he comes with three goblins. He himself is a goblin, so he comes with four uses built in. And hey, if you play him in a goblin deck, well, you can make use of other goblins. Um, And this ended up being a really, really good card. And so um, I think this is Worth's favorite card he designed and so um Worth always says that uh that, that he when someone asks him, he, he says this is my design he goes little help from Mark that, that's the uh so um I'm always one of the things that uh, I, I always enjoy doing is I have a lot of fun helping other people when they're doing designs of just finding a little tweak you know there's a, a lot of design is find, finding a little nuance um and I, I actually enjoy quite a bit taking other people's cards you know just take a little bit of nuance tweaking just just tiny bit um you know, and I, I, as part of head designer, I really, really enjoy sort of taking cool cards that people give me and just doing little tiny modifications to sort of just make it slightly a little more exciting. Um, and that a lot of what I, I try to teach when I'm, I'm, you know, leading design stuff is that there is, there's an aesthetic and a little design to, 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 sets, uh, to car design and that, you know, there's an art to it. And so I always like to help, um, you know, the designers, you know, learn the tricks of the trade, if you will. Okay, next, silver knight, white, white, human knight, two, First strike, protection from red. So for those of you that know your magic history, in magic, uh, in alpha, the very first magic set, there was a card called black knight. And black knight um, had, what is Ww W, W, two, two, first strike protection from black. And it's a very iconic, popular card. I believe what was going on at the time was red was getting a little out of hand. Um, or maybe we knew goblins were going to be really, really good, and we wanted to make sure there was an answer to goblins. But anyway, uh, someone one day said, you know what we should make? We should make a white knight, but for red. Um, I'm sorry, the card wasn't called black knight. Black knight was the black card. White, white knight was the card, and now them. Uh, but we should make a white knight for, for red. Uh, and so they ended up calling it silver knight, and this is, this is, exactly, this is exactly white knight, but for red. Um, and it was popular. Surprise, surprise. Okay, next, Skirk Volcanist. So it's three in a red, four mana for a 3 1 goblin. To morph it, you sacked two mountains. And when it turned face up, you did three damage dealt however you wanted among any number of creatures. Okay, so there's a card in Visions, if I remember the card's name, called Fire Blast. So Fire Blast dealt four damage, I believe, to target creature or player. Um, and it costs, I don't even remember what it costs, it costs them one mana, four or five mana. Um, but you could sacrifice two mountains to cast it for free, uh, which is how it often got cast. Um, and I think this is a little nod to that. Uh, it doesn't do quite the same thing uh, for is a lot, although it does get to spread the damage around, so uh, it's kind of like an arc lightning that can only hit creatures. Um, so the fun thing in this is I can have a little thing. Now, I have to be playing red because I have to sacrifice mountains, Um, one of the tricks, by the way, is when you have costs that avoid paying mana costs, you have to be careful, otherwise you allow colors to have access to it that don't normally have access. So, for example, if this just said sac 2 lands, then any card could play this direct damage spell, right? But this needs to be red, because direct damage is a pretty red thing. And so, oh, we have to sacrifice mountains. Well, if you're playing mountains, okay, you have access to red mana. Okay, you can have a red effect. Um, and it, it is very important. Notice earlier we had a morph where you had to discard, um, you had to discard a, a zombie, which was a black thing. Uh, the blue one we had earlier, you had to bounce a bird that lets let you. Uh, you were able to bounce a white card because birds were in white, and actually birds were in all the colors. So that one was a little easier. Although I think the thing you got for it wasn't as blue centric as like red direct damage is red centric. Okay, next, Sliver Overlord. It costs Wooberg. Uh, white, blue, black, red, green. So Wooberg is how we pronounce, uh, the, if you ever look at the back of the card, the colors go in, in the, for us, the order is white, blue, black, red, green. Start with white and with green. Um, it, it goes around, it's, it, it's clockwise around the, um, the wheel. Uh, it's just how all our files are done. It's the order we put things in. Uh, when all five cards are on a color, they go in Wooberg order, and we pronounce it Wooberg. Um, okay, so uh, Sliver Overlord is a legendary creature, a legendary, sorry, a legendary Sliver Mutant, uh, and it's a 7-7. Um, so it has two abilities: one is three, search your library for a Sliver, put it in your hand, shuffle your library, or three, gain control of target Sliver. So the idea here is, this is, so when we first introduced Slivers in Tempest, we did uh, Sliver Queen, which was uh, a 5-mana 7-7 seven seven that uh, allowed you to do shenanigans. It allowed you to make Slivers, is what it did. Um, and so when Slivers came back, we're like, oh, you were know a player's life last time? A uh, 5-color Sliver Lord. So we made another one. So this is the, uh, the Sliver Overlord. So for those who don't know, um, the Slivers... Uh, so here's what we know of the slivers. Volrath, who had access to portals, to, uh, uh, after the mending, a, a lot of the, the way the nature of the universe works, so there's not as many portals as there once were. But back in the day, there were more portals that people could, who weren't planeswalkers could go from plane to plane in. And Volrath found on some unnamed plane, found these slivers, brought a bunch back to study, He then made the metallic sliver, which was his creation, which wasn't a real sliver, which is why it only took abilities and didn't grant them, to study them. And the slivers were these creatures uh, that had two qualities. One is they were shape changers and the other was they shared a hive mind if they were within certain proximity to each other. And so the idea is once they get close enough, they share a hive mind with other ones and that certain slivers know how to make certain body parts through their shape changing. So a wing sliver knows how to make wings. So if a sliver gets near a wing sliver, they can grow wings because they now know how to grow wings because they're sharing that part of the mind. And if they have wings, well, then they can fly. Um, but if they get too far away from that sliver, they lose that ability and no longer know how to grow wings. Um, in fact, in the original Tempest story, the way that the Weatherlight crew defeats the slivers is by figuring out that they, they need to separate them. And Anyway... Um, uh, Mike Elliott created the Slivers in Tempest. He was on the Tempest design team and Slivers pre-existed. Um, I'm telling you how they fit into the story back in Tempest. Mike had actually made them for a set called ways that he made before, not after, ways, Afteral... At, maybe afterways. Um He made it before he came to Wizards. We then used them. We changed what they represented. In his story they were a creature that fell apart into pieces. Um, Anyway, he wanted to bring them back because he did legions, and he wanted to bring them back. Uh, so the, what the creative did is, um, they, during the invasion, uh, Wrath got overlaid with, um, with uh, Dominaria. That's how the Frexians um, attacked. They overlaid Wrath, which is why Wrath is gone now, and you can't go to Wrath anymore. Um, but when, and when doing that, they brought some slivers to Dominaria, Uh, These scientists get fastened by the slivers, decide to start experimenting on them. It doesn't go well. Um, And the sliver overlord is part of that experiment, I think. Um, But anyway, slivers get out, bad things happen. Um, Maybe one day we'll visit the sliver homeworld. That's a cool idea to me. Okay, let's move on. Soul Collector. So Soul Collector costs three black black for a three-four vampire. Uh, It has flying... And any creature damaged uh, this turn, if it dies, uh, you get it at end of turn. Or no, you just get it. I think when it dies, it comes back to you. And it had morph BBB. So this creature is a 3-4. Any creature it, it kills, it di- sorry, any creature that dies the turn it damages it, returns to the battlefield under the control of its controller. So let's say I have morph creature, you have a 3-3, and you go, okay, I'll block. My, my hill giant will block your creature. I go, haha. I turn it up. I have a 3-4. I kill your hill giant. Now your hill giant goes to the graveyard, and then it returns as a zombie to my side. That's what what Soul Collector does. Um, This is a pretty fun card. Um, It's another one of those cards where you get to surprise people with morph, and it doesn't do quite what you want. One of the things with morph you have to figure out is whether you're supposed to block or not block, and different things can happen depending on what cards you have. And this is definitely one of those cards that blocking becomes scary. Okay, next. Stabilizer. It's an artifact that costs 2. Players can't cycle cards. Aha, a hoser. So this is a block all about cycling. Why would we have an artifact that stops cycling? And the answer is, uh, it's what we call a safety net. So one of the things you want to do is, you want to make powerful cards, you want people to experiment, but you also want to give people tools to address problems that they pop up. Normally we give the tools, uh, well in the past, we used to give them late in the block or the beginning of the next block. Um, if the reason it's laid in this block is it refers to cycling specifically, we can't, put a, we can't refer to cycling in the next block, so it is at the end of this block. If it hosed it in a way that was general, that made sense in the next set, often we do in the next block. Um, we've definitely changed our opinion a little bit on this and are starting to do um, hosers for themes a little earlier, meaning it allows us to push a little stronger when it comes out of the gate, knowing that if it's a problem right away, we've also provided some answers. Stifle. Stifle is an instant that costs blue, counter-target activated, or triggered ability. So we don't do this ability often. People always ask for it. Uh, we did it here. Um, Stifle lets you stop things that often you can't stop. let stop, oh, yeah. lets you stop things. I'm doing great today. let lets you stop things you often can't stop. let lets you stop enter the battlefield uh, triggers and death triggers and, uh, you know, any activation. Um, for a while, Green was doing countering activations. Um, We really haven't defined this too much. Uh, In in the Distant past Green did it, Blue's obviously done it a little more recent. Um, It's not something we do too much of. Uh, It's something we do every once in a while. It's not nearly as useful as a Counterspell. But it's the kind of card that people have definitely made decks out of. Um, A real common way to Stifle is to take some card that has a very has a negative effect when, you, when it enters the play and that's supposed to be used as a means to control like maybe it's really cheap or really expensive but it has the ability you have to do um, and that you can use it as to circumvent it so okay next Temple of the False Gods the land tap at two mana but only if at two mana to your mana pool Cullus, only if you control five or more lands so the idea is this is a land that helps you get big things out uh, which is part of Brian's uh, and the Scourge's whole theme and so, um, uh, the team wanted to make an enabler to do that. And so, this is a card that says, "Oh, okay. Well, normally we don't make lands to tap for two mana anymore. We, we did that in the past. It burned us almost every time we did it. We're like, okay, maybe we should stop doing that. Um, but this one, because it's, I mean, it doesn't. I mean, it only lets you abuse it once you're already getting the high cost. And it's like, when I have five mana, I can get, you know, like if this is my fifth land, um, this gets me the sixth mana, you know. So, anyway." Next, Tendrils of agony. Two black, black for sorcery. Um, I drain my opponent for two, meaning uh, they lose two life, I gain two life. And it is storm. Uh, This is another very popular storm kill. Um, It's loss of life, and there's not a lot of things that prevent loss of life. Um, Damage is a lot easier to prevent, because you can prevent damage, you can redirect damage. This isn't damage, this is loss of life. Uh, And so it's a very, very popular um, storm kill. Uh, this and Mind's Desire... I'm not sure which is more popular. They're both very popular. Um, probably Tendrils, I guess, is more popular. But anyway, uh, this just shows the power of Storm. This card shows up in any format that it's allowed to show up in. Storm's just very powerful. Um, also, back in the day, um, uh, when you have access to Dark Ritual and stuff, which is already a powerful spell. So I think one of the reasons that Tendrils is very popular is... it it works really well with with Dark Ritual because Dark Ritual lets you get it out and fuels it and so um, anyway, that's why I think it's it's very popular in older formats I mean, it's it's insanely strong Trap Digger, 3 and a white for a 1-3 soldier 2 white and tap, put a trap counter on your land, and then you could sack a land with trap counters to deal 3 damage to target non-flying creature So this one has tins been written all over it. I don't definitively know it's If it's worth it, I apologize. Um, So the idea here is you are putting little land mines in your land, and then when the creature comes running over to attack you, ba-boom, and they blow up. Um, This is one of those cards that I like because it's flavorful. Um, It is not, the only negative about it is it's one of those cards that kind of just stalls the game because it just encourages any kind of attacking. but uh, I do enjoy um, I do enjoy the flavor, and I feel like it's not really costly to be a constructed car, so it's mostly meant for limited. Uh, and, and in limited, there, there's a lot more answers, and you know you can throw things... You can attack with creatures you're willing to let blow up and stuff, so... Next, Treetop Scout. Green for a 1-1 Elf. It can't be blocked except by flying and uh, reach. Okay, I'm not a fan of this. Like, green's not supposed to be good at flying, so... I don't think the answer is to give it flyers and just say, Oh well they don't fly. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't fly. Not a flyer, not a flyer. Can't kill it with anti flying. Plummet can't kill it. Like it's essentially flying. So why 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 are we confusing people? So I'm I'm not a giant fan of the I fly but I don't fly thing. If green's supposed to be bad at flying, let it be bad at flying and don't don't give it pseudo haha, I'm not really flying but I'm flying next undead warchief two black black one one zombie all your zombies cost one less and your zombies get plus two plus one so uh, when i talked about the white this uh, the warchief for the soldiers i said oh maybe that's the only warchief that pumps up your team that is not the case so um alpha had uh these two things called um what are they called uh holy holy strength and unholy strength holy strength granted plus one plus two unholy strength branded plus two plus one they both cost a single mana white and black respectively Turns out the black one's really good and the white one was no good. Uh, So we still get in this little thing where we let white do plus one plus two and black do plus two plus one. Um, I think we've gotten, I mean, at least we we make the white ones cheaper than the black one these days. But uh, I think we started shifting away from making black the plus two plus one and letting white do that more. Since white's the soldier color anyway and more often should do that. Um, But anyway, your zombies are big. Uh, I'm a big zombie fan for those who don't know. So, um... I definitely was pulling for zombies. I, there's a bunch of zombie cards in this block that I, I know I contributed to, just because I like making zombies. Okay, next. Unspeakable Symbol. One black, black enchantment. You pay three life to put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. Um, so this is a pretty straightforward card. I, I like this card. This is the kind of card that I have fun with where um, it's it's uh, you're trading resources. It's what we call an engine card, which is... It turns life into size, or, you know, plus one, plus one counters. Um, and so you can definitely do some fun shenanigans. Uh, it is, this is particularly fun with lifelink. Uh, you can have creatures that, as they gain life through lifelink, you, you get to make them bigger. And since you make them bigger, you get to get more life. And it, it, it just makes a, nice, a fun little, a little circle for you. Next, Upwelling. Upwelling's an enchantment that costs three in the green. Mana pools don't empty. If you put mana in your mana pool, it stays in your mana pool. Um, I like this card a lot. Um, I, obviously, mana pool is clear in normal magic just because we don't need the headache of tracking at all. But having a card, which that's what your deck does and you have to track and stuff, is definitely fun. Um, it's a neat card and it does something that's just a little offbeat. Like, one of the things about magic, it's fun when you say, here's a rule that exists, and the rule exists for a very good reason. But, you know what? For, for this one little deck, we'll let you break this rule and have fun. What can you do if, we, if this rule didn't exist? Um, and this is a really fun card. It lets you do a lot of neat things. Um, uh, you also can combo this. There was a creature I later made in Mirrodin, Glissa, who uh, her whole power is based on how much mana was in your mana pool, and she's green, so some fun stuff you can do there. Okay, next. Vengeful Dead, three and a black for a 3-2 zombie. When card name or, or when a Vengeful Dead or any other zombie, and not just yours, but any zombie dies, your opponent, each opponent each opponent loses one life. So the idea is um, kind of what zombies i have always been good at is I just get a lot of zombies out and slowly overwhelm you. And this is nice because what are you going to do? You got to kill my zombies or they're going to kill you, but every zombie that dies, you lose a life. Um, so also, once again, this is a thing where... Um, uh, it looks at all zombies and not just your zombies. This is back during Onslaught when these cards looked at everything. Um, which meant if your opponent was playing zombies, it was definitely a little scary because him trading your zombie for your zombie meant they lost two life. Um, also, no, notice it says each opponent rather than, all, uh, rather than saying target player or whatever. It, it's whenever you lose a zombie in a multiplayer game, every single player loses a life. Um, and so I know this card is good. If you want to make sort of a zombie deck to play in a multiplayer, this, this, it, it does a nice thing where it helps you defeat multiple players at once. Next, Wing Shards. Wing Shards is an instant for one white white, so it's three mana. Target player sacrifices an attacking creature, Storm. Um, so Wing Shards is the example of a card where this is not in any de- degenerative Storm decks. Uh, and the answer is, uh, well, it is... What is Degenerative is when I can produce all these copies of something and kill you. Well, destroying attacking creatures is never, or making your opponent sack them, is never going to kill them, or very rarely. Um, and so it's a, it's a defensive card. So what we've learned is Storm defensively is not nearly as problematic as being offensive. That if I make 15 of something and kill you, well, that's a problem. But if I can make 15 of something and, I mean, also, it only can kill as many creatures as you attack with. I mean, best-case scenario is you attack, or your opponent attacks with a giant army, and somehow you can cast a lot of little spells try and protect yourself, and then kill them all. But it's just an example of a storm card that isn't dangerous. It gets brought up a lot. Not all storm cards are dangerous, which is true. Doesn't mean the the mechanic can come back, by the way, guys. Uh, When you can't make anything offensive, it's it's hard to make make cards. Next, Wirewood Symbiote. It's an insect, a 1-1 insect for for a single green mana. Uh, if you return an elf you control, you can untap target creature. And you can only do this once per turn. So this card was inspired by... What's the little elf? There's an elf in Urza's Legacy, I think, that I made, where uh, as a cost... What was, it, what was it? It allowed you to unsummon as a cost. And you and when you unsummon, you can untap things. Um, anyway, it, this card is inspired by that card. I'm blanking what that card's name is. People are yelling on the audience. Um... This is another, this is another, uh, it's a shenanigan card in green. Not just blue gets to do shenanigans, green gets to do shenanigans. So one of the nice things is returning elves often is a positive thing. Uh, so both blue and green and white all have the ability to, as a cost return, um, creatures to your hand, it, they're done differently, but it's an ability we do in, 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 all, in fact, red and black can do it with a theme, um, like Plane Shift, which was the second set in the um, Invasion Block. It was a, we didn't name it, but it was a major theme. Um, and so, it's something that every color has some access to. Green, white, and blue do more often than black and red. Um, and this one, definitely, untapping a creature, you can do all sorts of things. You can have blockers that can block that, you know, essentially it gives pseudo-vigilance to things. You can retap tappers. You know, it lets you do a lot of fun things. And so, um, uh, I def- I, it definitely was inspired by the, the card. What was the elf called? Um, there's a card that I made in Urza's Legacy that I said, endless fun, um, In fact, I wrote a whole article once about like fifteen tricks you can do with just this card, and I really, really like the card. So, you know, one one of the things we definitely do is we come back, um, and like if you if you do a card and you like the card, it, it did fun things, like you remember it, and like later on you're like, you know what, that was a real fun card. We should revisit that, and that I have no shame of taking things that work and doing them again. Sometimes people get mad at me though, like. I really liked um, Miss from Ultimus. And so in, in Lorwin I said, you know what? What if Miss from Ultimus was just a mechanic? And so we made Changeling. And people are like, oh no, now you're making Miss from Ultimus less special. Like, I'm not gonna not make things less special. Like, if people like things, I'm bringing them back. They're fun. That's why they like them in the first place. And I'm not gonna restrict how many times I can do fun things. If it's fun, I can do it again. I will make things less special because I make other cards do the same fun thing. So you've been warned. Um. Anyway, just kind of mail, you know, a little Simpson kind of mail I get is, you brought this fun thing back how dare you what will Miss For Maltinus' mother think okay, my last card of the day I'm almost to work my last card of the day is quite, quite a quite a card, so I, I, I have a little thing to say about this zombie cutthroat costs 3 black black for 3-4 zombie morph is pay 5 life so I talked about this earlier about how you have to be careful when you do costs because, um, if you don't do a, like, pay five life is not a cost that's tied to anything. Anybody can pay five life. I understand that black more often uses life payment, so thematically it makes sense in black, and it being a black card, it makes sense, but here's the issue. Really what this card is, it's a morph creature that you can put down for three mana for a 2-2 that says for five life, it becomes a 3-4 zombie, do you have to be playing black mana to play this card? No, you don't. And in fact, it was a very popular card. Showed up in a lot of decks that played Morph. N- lots of them didn't play black. In fact, in Limited, this card was taken super early because any deck could play it. it uh, in, in the right circumstances, it could be pretty good. And it never tied you down. It didn't require anything. I mean, it, while the card is technically black, uh, it, is only, I mean, it is not black in the sense that it requires swamps for you to get it in play. Um, and that... One of the things, just real quickly, a little side here, that um, when I go off on the color wheel, you know, the, the reason I'm so uh, such a color pie purist um, and I'm so... is one of the things you realize as you study the game and look at how the game clicks together is that there's a lot of things that Richard had to do to make the game work. A trading card has all sorts of built-in difficulties. And one of the biggest problems, I talk about this... Uh, long ago, one of my podcasts, is what we call the queen problem, which is, if you were making chess sets in which people could just pick their own pieces, okay, you have to pick one king, obviously, because it, it's needed for the win condition, but past that, why wouldn't you just have all queens? If you can pick, your, pick all your pieces, why, why bother playing with pawns, or playing with you know, knights or rooks, or like, why not just play all queens? Uh, and that's the problem the trading card games had, is, well, if, if I get to choose my cards, why not just take the absolute best cards? Why? Why? Why not do that? And what Richard said is, okay, well, we're going to build a system in so that not everything has access to everything. You know, the mana system, uh, along with the color pie, said, oh, well, this is powerful, but it requires you to be in blue, and this is powerful, cards you to be in black, and this is powerful, cards you to be in red. And you can't be in all the colors. The mana system does not let you easily be in all the colors. And so, you have to make choices. And that's where the game gets interesting. The game is interesting, and also the mana system also said this powerful spell is powerful early in the game. This is powerful middle of the game. This is powerful late in the game. The Richard found all sorts of ways to make different cards valuable at different times, and that is crucial to making the game tick. That is why the mana system is so essential. That is why the color pie is so essential. You know all these things that were done, and my job, in, in some ways, uh, last year Richard Garfield had had his fiftieth birthday party, and. Um, uh at the thing, there's a little time where everyone was telling stories about Richard. Um, and one of the things I said to Richard is that, you know, magic means a lot to me. It's given me my livelihood. You know, it is, it is a passion, something that I, I care greatly about, which is something that Richard gave me, something that Richard made and gave the world. Um, and that I feel a lot of responsibility. And I said to him that, you know, I feel like it's his baby and I'm looking after it. And I'm making sure that it's, it's well-tended for because... You know, magic means a lot to me, and I want to make sure that it is well, it is well looked after. Um, and Richard said something that was very touching at the time uh, when I said that, and he said, you know, he said, thank you, and you're doing a really good job. And that, that meant a lot to me that, uh, you know, that the, the man who created this game feels like I'm doing justice to it, and that I'm um, steering it in a good direction. Um, so I was very happy to hear that, um, but anyway, this all comes around. Is Zombie Cutthroat is a dangerous card? Not saying you can't occasionally do something like Zombie Cutthroat, but it is dangerous in the sense that um, it it allows access. I mean, you just have to be aware when you do that what you are doing is making a card that isn't any color. Um, and once you understand that, okay, okay, and we can do that a little bit of that. And I think it's just a three-four card. I mean, it's a zombie, and that matters a little bit, but it, it's not doing something so inherently black. It's just a three-four creature, so. That made it, like, if it was doing, like, really, really black things, like it was hitting you and making you discard, and then I was putting that in decks that weren't even black, that would be a problem. Um, but anyway, sorry. My little, my little, my little, uh, see, you get a little side. See, when you read my writing and I go off on a little side, you're like, why does he do that? Like, because I just do that in life. And, and podcast listeners, you guys know that. Okay, I'm now at work. Oh, we had a little longer drive today, a little traffic. Um, but we have wrapped up uh, Scourge. Got all the way to Z. So I hope you guys enjoyed my little uh, jaunt through Scourge and my jaunt through the whole on-flop block. Um, there was, it, was a, it was a good block. It was one of, uh, at the time, I think it was the be- best-selling block. I mean, mirrored and eclipsed it. But it was for, for a, I, I believe for a short, shining moment, it was the best-selling block in Magic. Um, and it held at the top five slot for quite a while. Um, I mean, recent sets have blown it away. But uh, for quite a while, it was, in, it was near the top. And, you know, it, it's a block. I, I'm a big fan of Morph. I'm a big fan of Tribal. Um, there's a lot of fun things the block did. Um, I think Scourge itself did a lot of fun experiments. Uh, I don't think for Amanda cost it, it necessarily turned out to be quite as awesome as it could have been. Or, it didn't turn out quite as well as, I think, Brian had hoped. But, um, there's a lot of other fun things going on. And while Storm developmentally had all sorts of problems, it was fun. It's a fun mechanic. Uh, if a little destructive, but, uh, anyway. So I'm now in my parking spot, and we know what that means. It's time to end my drive to work. So it's time for me to stop talking about magic and be making magic. I'll see you guys next time.